Hello, this is the Off With Air Records podcast, number 14. It's 2021. It's uh, January the 1st. Uh, it's 12.48 in the afternoon. Um, and I'm sitting in a little room in Norwich, UK, talking into a tiny microphone, a very tiny microphone. So I've, I've lent all my, uh, my, my good ones out. Uh, it's a tiny little uh, pencil condenser, small diaphragm condenser. Not really ideal for uh, this this sort of thing, but don't worry, don't worry. I, I can get this sounding okay. Uh, yeah, it's 2021, and that's why I'm doing this podcast. Uh, I'm going to be talking about oh, all sorts. I'm going to be talking about um, coronavirus, my experience of coronavirus in Norwich, UK. I'm going to be doing a little bit about um, musicians uh, and how you can operate uh, in coronavirus conditions. I'm going to be talking about Off With Their Records, uh, what we got up to in 2020 and what we will be getting up to in 2021. Uh, I'm going to do a little bit about MCPS, which is Mechanical Copyright. This is a DIY record label podcast. Kind of the point of it is to uh, sort of teach people or to show people um, behind the scenes of running a record label so you can do it yourself. And uh, MCPS is one of those things that uh, very few people seem to understand or even are aware of, but it's very important uh, to understand it if you're running a record label or even if you're a musician. So I'm going to be doing a bit about mechanical copyright. Uh, There'll be some exclusive music and, um, well... That's it. That, that, that's it. I was going to say and and more, but no, no that, that that's all. So let's do it. So first up, here we are in Norwich, UK, in the middle of the coronavirus pandemic. Um, it's been an odd one. So throughout 2020, uh, it kind of the coronavirus thing hit in February, in the UK. That is, uh, full lockdown went into effect around February the 28th. I remember that. Well, because that's the date that we were meant to be having the Space's Big EP launch uh, at Space Studios in Norwich. And it was going to be fantastic. And it got cancelled right at the last minute. Although we kind of knew it was probably going to get cancelled as it was coming up. I remember, I think it was late January even, we put on um, a gig, a massive like three floor gig. And we were already, I was like, um, we should probably be uh, wiping the microphones between use. Uh, So we were already kind of aware that um, something was kind of looming. Uh, Yeah, and when the lockdown hit, uh, things changed for... I'll talk about my personal experiences of it, because it's just kind of the best way to do it, I guess. So I was working... Before, I was working part-time as a healthcare assistant, part-time obviously running this record label. Um, uh, I'll, I'll I'll talk a little bit about why as well, because I don't think I've ever talked about that on this podcast. And that's behind the scenes stuff. That's interesting. So um, throughout my life, I've had loads of, you know, day jobs because I had my own thing on the side. I was, I mean, I studied English at university. I started off trying to be a journalist, actually. Um, uh, which I am intending to go back to, but in around 2010, I've definitely talked about this before, 
Uh, in 2010, uh, I, like, I went to China, sort of intending that to be sort of like the launch of my career in sort of like journalism and writing. And when I was on the cusp, sort of staring down the barrel of the gun, so to speak, I realised I wanted to do something in music first. So that's when I came back to Norwich and started focusing hard on music. Uh, launched the record label in 2017 after, you know, all sorts. Um, uh, I'm meant to be talking about my employment here, aren't I? Yeah, so I had day jobs all the time to sort of keep me ticking along. I Because th- I expected and hoped that one day I would make a living out of the, uh, the sort of creative st- stuff I do, the things I'm passionate about, which is what we're all taught, isn't it? If you work hard enough and are passionate enough about something, you'll be successful in that field. But, you know, I so- sort of soon realised that that's actually complete bullshit. Uh, you could go, it's down to luck, really. You could go your whole life and just end up doing those day jobs for the rest of your life. So I thought I need a job that I actually care about, not one that's just selling my labour to make somebody else money. And that's why I started working as a healthcare assistant. I did that, started that in uh, 2013, I think. And I've been doing that ever since. Well, not ever since. I was actually self-employed as a musician for a year. Um, But then one of my main sources of income stopped when the... Owl Sanctuary, the world famous, Norwich's world famous music venue, the Owl Sanctuary, closed down. Uh, I was the head sound engineer there. And when that closed down, I just didn't have enough income to uh, be fully self-employed. So I went back to uh, being a healthcare assistant after however long, year and a half break. Uh, and I still do that to this day. And when lockdown hit, uh, obviously the music activity shrank, shrunk shrank um and my the, the i was needed uh, more at the place where i worked as a healthcare assistant so i ended up working full-time as a healthcare assistant all through still am working basically full-time as a healthcare assistant um due to the pandemic uh, so record label activity has sort of diminished a bit Still managing to keep it going, obviously, as I'll go on to talk about. Um, what else was I going to say? Oh, yeah, in February 28th, I moved house, so that was interesting. Moving into a new house and then lockdown a month later. Um, that's been fun. Obviously, the schools were closed for a long time, so I had a lot of extra childcare as well. Uh, so, yeah, it's been fairly tricky through... Uh, through lockdown and, you know, this, this whole pandemic. But um, been keeping it going. Uh, in the Obviously, in the music scene, all the gigs were cancelled. We had uh, loads of gigs. I work with um, Sean O'Neill from Ideal Surreal, uh, putting on DIY gigs in Norwich. Uh, and we had so many lined up that were so, so, so good. The lineups were incredible. And they all got shit-canned, is the phrase, I believe. Um, so, that sucked, but hey. Um, it, part of the ethos of the record label is constantly adapting to situations. It's never, ever sort of complaining or, you know... Sometimes I hear people having a go at 
music fans for not buying enough music or not going to enough gigs, and that's completely the opposite of our ethos uh, for this record label and this business. You adapt, you do, uh, you adapt to the new situation or find new ways of doing things. If people aren't buying it, it's your fault. You need to do something else. Um, you know, this is a digital record label and the whole founding principle of it is about not complaining about the digital revolution. It's about adapting to it and embracing it. And that's why the music industry floundered so badly because they didn't do that. I mean, it's not, um, it's not uh, the fault of musicians really, you know, the digital revolution was a disruptive innovation which sort of rendered vast wings of the established music industry uh, irrelevant. And what they do is they inevitably try and maintain their power by doing things their way, which isn't the right way. It's But ultimately, you know, everything, theoretically, everything should work out. That's called a dialectical materialism. That's a Marxist notion uh, that, you know, material progress happens and it always disrupts the established power structures and they'll always try and hold on to it uh, causing great damage by doing so but the idea of uh, dialectical materialism is that eventually uh, they just have to bow down to uh, reality Um, and this record label is basically about a new model of uh, running a record label in the uh, in the digital world that doesn't complain and have a go at fans for not buying music it offers them something that they want to buy which hopefully you will find if you check us out and you know go into what we do um anyway so that's what i've been doing through lockdown i hope you found that interesting uh so if you're not aware of what's going on in uh, the uk uh, it's been pretty ridiculous. I mean, every country's had a different experience, I think, and ours is a story of mm, ineptitude. I don't want to get too uh, political, but it's um, it's been a complete shit show uh, here in the UK. So most recently, they thought up this tier system. Uh, they put that into place. Uh, it was in place for 10 days before they went into the second lockdown. Uh, just as I and everyone else was kind of getting used to it, you know, ah, tier system, okay, so this is how it works. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. 10 days later, wham, second lockdown, everything has to shut down again. Uh, then when they re- reopened recently, they introduced a whole new tier and all the tiers changed. And now they're probably going to go back into another lockdown after Christmas and New Year. So, yeah, it's been hugely confusing and inconsistent and it's ridiculous. But we're going to keep, you know, trucking on. Um, And so that leads me, I guess, into this next little bit, which is about how musicians can operate in the tier system and in just the pandemic generally. So I see a lot of kind of confusion uh, in uh, you know around me in the music scene um, because one one of the reasons I think is because it's such a mixture of professionals and amateurs you know uh, and so people don't really know what rules apply to them or what they can do 
So one way I'm going to try and explain this is by explaining to you how you can have bad practices in the pandemic. So if you're a prof- if you're a professional musician, which means you make your living or part of your living, semi-professional musician, out of music, there are particular guidelines for that. You can operate. What you have to do is you look up the government guidelines for professional music production environments or professional uh, arts performance environments, and you follow those guidelines. If you are not a professional musician, as most musicians aren't, we are classed as amateurs, then your band practices will be classed, and all your activities will be classed as uh, social gatherings. So, if you're an amateur musician and you want to go around somebody's house and have a band practice, you need to abide by the um, regulations for social gatherings for your particular tier. So if they say you can't gather in people's houses, then you can't have a band practice in someone's house. If they say you're allowed to gather outside, you can have a band practice outside. Simple. Um, If, though, you want to go to a practice room to practice a proper professional business that offers practice rooms, you can do that. Rehearsal studios, if they're open, you can go practice there because they will be responsible for having their risk assessments and um, best practice all in uh, in place. So in some tiers, say tier four, rehearsal rooms aren't allowed to be open because they're not essential services. But when you get to, I think, uh, tier two, uh, rehearsal, stu- rehearsal studios can open. And even if you're an amateur musician, you can go practice in those rehearsal studios and... Uh, that's completely fine. It's up to the people running it to make sure uh, everything's all above board. Okay. And um, you do need to stick to the regulations. I know sometimes we look at them and think this, why? Why Why is this thing in place? This is ineffective, this particular one, you know, whatever. You know, masks are ineffective in this environment, or we can look at them and criticize them and say, Oh, oh that, that's just so ineffective and over the top. Why don't, don't, don't bother, just abide by the guidelines, whatever they are. I know they're changing all the time and it's dizzying and confusing. Just stick to the guidelines and nobody can ever tell you off, basically. Um, that's my advice to you. Um, and it is all about safety and it's also about not incurring any fines or any trouble. And it's also about manners in, uh, in some instances. Um, so yeah, just stick to the guidelines. That's my advice. Um, great. I hope that has kind of shed some light perhaps by talking about band practice obviously there's many other situations you might want to be thinking about recording and all that sort of thing by talking about band practices i think i've sort of covered like all the ideas there so yeah if you want to record if uh, recording studios are allowed to be open say tier one and tier two you can do that it's up to the people running it to um have their stuff in their, their um their risk assessments in place and when you get to lower levels I think uh, studios can still open, but they can only work with professional musicians, I believe, at some of the uh, higher tiers. And then when you get to proper lockdown, 
you know, things just have to, non-essential businesses just have to close. Um, if you want a bit more advice, uh, you can uh, look up um, the Musicians' Union. Uh, they've got quite a lot of advice out there for musicians. So you can look them up and um, they'll tell you stuff. Sorry, I can just hear my son in the other room making weird animal noises. Um, okay. I hope that's been helpful to people. Uh, let's go on to the next bit. Off with our records in 2020 and what's coming up in 2021. <clears throat> so, 2020 for Off With Their Records began with the release of the Bavarian Rocket Group album. That album, whew, that took a long time to produce. We, I think we planned to have that out in September of 2019. It didn't come out until January. Uh, still available from uh, offwiththeirrecords.co.uk. You can buy it on CD. You can get the Digi Bundle, which has got like extra bits in it. Check it out. Next, we were finishing off the Space Is Big EP, which we had started... Actually, we were finished off recording that in January, I think. And we're still doing a bit of work on it in February. Um, but it was... Uh, oh, no, I think I was uh, doing the uh, manufacturing in February. And it was set for release. Uh, and as I've already mentioned, that's when lockdown hit. So that release gig was cancelled. So it never really got the... Uh, the release it deserved um so do check that out space is big back to bed ep it's really good it's available on the website you can buy it as a cd i think you get their first ep for free if you uh buy it from the website on cd and there's the download as well which i think that's got the first ep in it as well uh i say i think i think i think i haven't looked for ages check it out it's pretty cheap and uh, pretty damn good. Uh, next up, throughout 2020, we've continued working on the fabled Joey Hertzfeld album. It's taking a long time, mostly my fault. It's in the mixing stage. Uh, to be fair, it's a massive mixing job. There's, you know, 20, 30 instruments on each song. Um, it's like a Beach Boys album or something. It's pretty intense. But yeah, as I've said, I have been extraordinarily busy throughout uh, the pandemic. Uh, it probably should have been finished by now, could have been finished by now. Um, but we're still working on that. There's, we released the single uh, called Inside, appropriately enough. It was written before the pandemic, but it's about people retreating into their houses, never leaving. Um, and ordering everything online. It's got the uh, prophetic line, uh, McDonald's starts delivering today, which was meant to be kind of like a sarcastic, satirical sort of joke. Uh, but they're, they're actually delivering now, so yeah. So uh, check out the single, Inside, by Joey Hertzfeld, to get a little taste of what that album is going to be like. Uh, we should have another single to drop soon, actually. Um, yeah, and hopefully the whole album will follow shortly afterwards. Um, the next exciting thing we've been doing in uh, 2020, we've been making a documentary. Oh yeah, we've been making a documentary. Um, so the idea for this started when I heard that um, 
Shana Linsky's uh, 20 years of promoting uh, is coming up, 20 an 20th anniversary of promoting. He put his first gig on in, I think it was November 2000. And so when I heard that, I thought, that's great. I I'll make a little sort of audio document, well, not documentary, sort of little audio tribute to him. I'll get loads of people to talk about him and say, happy 20th. Uh, and then I was telling Sean O'Neill from Ideal Surreal about that. He said, why don't we make it into a documentary? Because that 20 years that Shane has been putting on gigs, he must have averaged about one a week. So he's put on over a thousand gigs. Uh, and he presided over a time when Norwich was really on the map. Um, the Norwich music scene was pretty big in the early 2000s. I mean, we had John Peel uh, playing loads of bands from Norwich on his uh, show. Uh, Sean told me at one point there was a feature in the British Airways magazine on the Norwich music scene, like a big double page thing for people who are on, you know, the aeroplane. Check out the Norwich music scene. I mean, literally, early 2000s. Irish music scene was, you know, big, big stuff. And Shane presided over and was partly responsible for that period. So, you know, it, it sort of, this documentary sort of covers that little bit. It is about Shane in particular, rather than the whole Norwich music scene. Um, and we're not going to put too much weight on that period because, you know, he's continued at exactly the same pace throughout the entire 20 years and it's a fascinating and remarkable uh, story um, centred around a fascinating and remarkable man so that's really exciting that's been again quite difficult to do during lockdown but we've managed it um, we're in the editing Stage. We've actually still got a bit of shooting to do. Once we've um, done the initial editing, we'll know where the uh, where the holes are, and we'll be able to fill those in with a, a little bit of extra footage. Um, and this is the first time I've given out all this information, by the way, about the documentary. Uh, I've, I try not to put all the information in one place. I kind of spread it out in Instagram posts, little bits here and there. But you know, this podcast only about. 80 people listen to this. This this is this is for you. A little gift to you. A bit of info. Exclusive info. Um, yeah, so keep an eye out for that because that is going to be uh, pretty cool. And it's exciting to be doing this. You know, we're learning how to do it. Um, you know, none of us have ever made a documentary before. Um, so, yeah, it's exciting learning how to do it. And um, looking forward to doing something similar again. Uh, you know, shooting music, professional music videos and things like that. This sort of opens up the door for that sort of thing. Um, okay. Uh, also, in 2020, uh, this is another nice bit of information that I've not completely put out there before. I've just been teasing people with information. Yellow Hammers are recording a new album. And it's going to be fantastic. Uh, we started, we, we have started recording some of it already, but then the lockdown hit again. So that's um, kind of on hold. But um, the last Yellow Hammers album was like one of the most, uh, yeah, I loved making that album. It was one of the most creative production processes I've ever participated in. I mean, 
songs completely changed when we recorded them. We added whole new set bits to them, whole new instruments, and completely changed the songs. It's just, it was just a, a joy to record and really, really pleased with the results of that first album. Uh, and now we're doing a new one, and this is going to be a full sort of eight, ten, maybe twelve track album. And we've been working with a, uh, a drummer called uh, Stacy Gow. Stacy Gow was the drummer for Magoo. Um, I just talked about how you know the Norwich music scene in the two thousands was on the map. Magoo were one of the biggest bands in that uh, in that period in Norwich, and uh, we've got their drummer. Um, so really looking forward to that, getting back to recording that and finishing it. Um, if you guys know Yellow Hammers, a kind of weird art rock, all sorts of elements in there. So there's the sort of minimalist influences in some of the songs. There's, yeah, um, it's one of the one of my favourite bands I've ever been involved with. Um, and I'm now going to play you an exclusive uh, track from the first album. Actually, no, you know what? I'll put that at the end. No, no, fuck it. I'll, I'll play it now. So this is from the first album we did. You can listen to the first three tracks of this album on offwithairrecords.co.uk. This one is not one I've uh, put out there to listen to for free before. So it's kind of an exclusive uh, I'm going to stick this out here now. This song is called uh, Middleweight. And uh, after this, I'll talk about uh, mechanical copyright. So for those of you who aren't interested in the ins and outs of running a record label, you can stop after this uh, song. Enjoy.
Booyah! Middleweight by Yellow Hammers. Yep, great fun recording that. So good. Um, anyway, uh, now I'm going to do for you, for anyone who's interested, a little bit about something called mechanical copyright. Now, the thing people often get confused about with mechanical copyright is they confuse it with the phonographic right. The phonographic right is the recording right. Uh, it's the recording copyright. So whenever you make a sound recording that immediately has a... Uh, it belongs to whoever made or commissioned the recording. Um, uh, and that's called the phonographic right. And half of it also belongs to the performers on the recording. That's inalienable uh, unless you sign a contract away, like if you're a session musician. Anyway, we're not talking about that. Mechanical copyright it comes into play when you make recordings, but it is not the same as the recording right. The mechanical copyright refers to the is to do with the intellectual property, so the actual song. So, when you write a song, music, lyrics, that's your intellectual property, and whenever that song is, there are two ways that this can generate royalties. Whenever that song is performed, that's the performing right. Or, whenever that song is physically copied, that's the mechanical copyright. So, when you make a recording, yes, you're physically copying uh, somebody's intellectual property. But then when you make copies of that recording, you're then copying it even more. It comes into play also when with printed music. So, if you write down somebody's uh, song, you've just made a copy of it. That's the mechanical copyright. It's not to do with the recording necessarily. Uh, it's to do with having physically copied in some way the intellectual property. So with mechanical copyright, as a record label, the main way it would come into play is when you make CDs. So if you uh, have, you know, your friend's band, you've just started up a record label, you've got your friend's band and you want to... Uh, produce a hundred CDs of their music. They've, they've got this, uh, let's say, uh, a 10-track album. No, let's say 11 tracks, because that matters a bit easier there. They've got an 11-track album, and you want to do a hundred copies of it. You now owe them a hundred pounds for mechanical copyright. Now, obviously, if it's your mate's band, they probably won't do that. But it's very important that you understand what mechanical copyright is. Um, because you can get yourself into trouble if you don't. Um, and if you're a musician as well, it's good to understand. If somebody is burning 100 copies of your music, you know, technically they, they owe you money. Now, the way I deal with mechanical... I've never actually paid anyone mechanical copyright. Daddy? Yes? Okay. Um, so the way I deal with mechanical copyright, the reason why I've never paid any is because generally what I do is when I find a band, I say to them, I will produce you and distribute and manufacture your music, uh, and for free, like I'm not going to charge you to record, record you, you know, I'm not getting paid for the huge amounts of time. I put into doing that. So what I usually do in the contract is 
I'll say I keep 100% of things like mechanical copyright or, you know, 80% of um, performing rights or whatever up until um, for, a, for a period of time, say two years. Then at the end of that, we'll renegotiate. And that's, yeah, that's basically how I deal with it. Um, so I've, yeah, I've never paid mechanical copyright. So you, it's because mechanical copyright is sort of a pain in the arse and I just can't be bothered dealing with it, that's how I deal with it. Um, I say, you know what, I'll put vast amounts of time into recording, mixing, mastering, manufacturing and distributing and promoting your music in exchange. Just don't don't make me pay you 80 quid in mechanical copyrights. I'll sort of keep that, sort of take it off all the time I've spent doing this stuff for you. And that's perfectly fine. You can do that. As long as the other band agree. Um, yeah, but if they are a member of MCPS, MCPS on the Mechanical Copyright Protection Society, they're the uh, society in uh, the UK which deals with mechanical copyright. If they are a member of MCPS, you actually you have to actually license it. But I've never had to do that because I've never worked with a band who's actually a member of MCPS. Uh, but if you do, you have to actually fill in a licensing thing and send it off to them. Uh, yeah. I hope that's clear. Anyway, I must go now. Um, Happy New Year. Um, I hope you enjoyed this. I hope you found it entertaining and informative. And I will catch up with you again soon. Check out uh, offwithourrecords.co.uk to find all our products, etc. If you want to contact me, you can email me at ideologue at hotmail.co.uk. I-D-E-O-L-O-G at hotmail.co.uk. Uh, follow us on Instagram. We, we're quite active on Instagram. Uh, you can follow us on Facebook if that's more your jam. We're not not so active on there, but you know we put the important things up there. Um, yeah, Happy New Year, everybody! Um, don't sit around going, "Oh, what's going on? I'm confused." You know, get down with what's happening. Get active, and stay safe. See ya.